Announcement time. Thank you, Deb. There is no class next week. Next uh, weekday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday of next week, there's no class. So we'll, have, uh, we'll be back on Sunday. I'll announce it again on Sunday, and it's on the website. Um, while I'm holding my announcement note, I'm also reading Zoom. Apparently, there's a Zoom meeting tomorrow, and I'll be on it, and others are on it. Uh, one of the things I wanted to mention about the Zoom is that uh, it's turned into a prayer group as well as, you know, just us hanging out and chit-chatting, which is, it's awesome. You know, we, we always have, uh, it's nothing formal, an hour, roughly some from four to five, but you could hop in and hop out, uh, you know, whatever you wanted to do. Uh, it's neat being able to see people uh, who, are, who are out there. Uh, generally, we get uh, San Francisco, Arizona, oftentimes Georgia, and uh, England, yeah, uh, almost every time uh, is Terry. It's midnight for her, but she stays up for it. It's great. <laughs> what? Oh, right, right. Okay. Sound, that sounded jealous. <laughs> that's that's a sin. We'll, we'll, t- we'll get into that sin tonight. Uh <laughs> so, uh, yeah, so if you want to, and what I meant to say is if you have uh, also prayer requests that you want us to pray for, we always close the meeting in prayer, and um, and so it's turned into a, a prayer group, which has been awesome as well. Speaking of prayer, there's uh, a young man in Chris's extended, well, they're friends of the family down in Arizona. They've been friends, like, with Chris's family forever, so they're basically family. Their young boy uh, fell into a diabetic coma. They didn't. He he has diabetes, and they didn't know it. It was one of those things where, you know, it's juvenile diabetes. It wasn't seen or noticed, and he fell into a coma. He had to get airlifted to Arizona. I mean, to uh, Phoenix. And so anyway, he's in dire straits. I think he's 12, 10 or 12 years old somewhere around 12 years old, and his name is Calum, C-A-L-L-U-M. We'll pray for him tonight. I ask you, please pray for him. His blood sugar got better, and then there were other complications, and we think it looks like he had a stroke today, um, this morning, and and there's other issues as well, So, and his family are just uh, brokenhearted. They, he, w- he was a three-year-old at my wedding. They came to Chris and I's wedding. And uh, and that's the one and only time I ever met him. This cutest little kid, uh, blonde-haired kid, you know, beautiful. And so anyway, uh, Calum's his name. Please pray for his recovery. His his parents are just at their wits' end. Christians, and every we've got tons of people praying for him. I want more people praying for him. So thank you very much for doing that. Uh, All right, let's open up in prayer ourselves, and let's uh, be grateful. I know that you are, but remind ourselves if we needed to be grateful for God's Word and for Him and for what He has provided, um, you know, in cases where we, anything can happen to anybody at any time. And uh, yet God is sovereign and has all things in control and has saved us by His grace. And may we, with reverence and thanksgiving, look to Him now to His Word. With that, let's pray. Our Father in heaven, thank you for your word and who you are. Thank you for our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ who has blessed us immensely by his sacrifice. It is a blessing that is beyond what we could think or imagine. 
Yet we know, Father, by faith that we have eternity with You. And we believe that young Caleb has eternity with You, but his parents don't want to let him go just now. So we ask You, Father, to heal him and enable him to recover, give wisdom to his doctors that they may see and fix what is ailing him. Give patience and peace to his parents and his family and loved ones. And to know, Father, that it is Your will. No matter what happens, we know, Father, that You are completely in control. You do hear. We know that You have heard us and we know that You will do what is best. And we trust You for that. But we intercede greatly. And we also ask, Father, for us that we are motivated by Your Word to be the people that You have called us to be and to rejoice in that. And Father, we ask that through your Spirit our hearts would be enlightened, and we ask in Christ's name, Amen. Uh, uh, Today's class is about Paul's genuineness of heart, as and him and those who ministered with him. At some point, and when we're studying now the New Testament, as we get through, at some point we're going to study Paul's companions. Uh, Timothy shows up in in this book in 1 Thessalonians uh, uh, chapter 2. Sorry, he shows up in chapter 3. And Timothy, to him and the others, they're they're a great study. We'll do it sometime in the future. To see the companions, to see what they are and how they are. Um, Not everybody's an Apostle Paul, and that's okay. You you have your own ministry that God has given you that's tailor-fit for you. And uh, it's, it's wonderful to see that, you know, whatever God has called me to, I can find that out and I can do it to the utmost and I can glorify Him and it's the greatest life that I could ever live. To do that, you have to be genuine. Right? Your heart has to be truly transformed. Uh, a lot of people fake it or have tried to fake it uh, to be this great Christian that they think they should be and they don't. I say, well, you know, it takes a lot of work to know the Lord. Right? You've got to learn a lot, study a lot. You've got to learn the Scripture. You have to be a bibliophile. And I mean that is not just a book worm, but a Bible worm, I guess. Um, and, and that to learn who the Lord is. And that transforms the heart. And then what comes from that is you love the Lord. You learn that. You learn who He is and you love Him for who He is. And yet, we live in a world where people are not genuine. And that's what Paul's going to talk to us about today. People wear masks. It's funny. I wrote that line for my intro, and then I was like, well, wait a minute. We were all wearing masks not too long ago. Some people still are. I saw just a guy the other day alone in his car driving around with a mask on. I'm like, good for you. Uh, whatever you want. <laughs> but... What I mean is a false persona that portrays themselves as good, as leading wonderful lives. And it's exhausting. I remember doing it. I've not been genuine my whole life. I don't really do it much anymore. Sometimes I guess I'm in situations where I find that I do. But it's pretty exhausting if you can't really be who you are and you're trying to be someone that you're not and you're trying to fool people into being what you are. I can imagine, like the people that Paul's going to talk about today, just, they match politicians perfectly. And it must be exhausting to put yourself out there as this whatever you are, what you're trying to get people to think that you are. And then you can't wait to get home and take the mask off. And wouldn't you love to leave that mask off forever? And God today is going to show us how to do that. Social media has exacerbated this issue. Facebook is a fake life. We know this. A false life online that all others see, and you don't even have to leave your house. The Facebook lie is practiced by many. I've seen two two articles and a couple of news reports lately on online dating. And the fact that, well, I guess probably some study came out that that people had picked up on, that Men, adult men between 18 years old and 29, I think it is, are more than 60% of them are not dating anybody. 
I mean, unmarried and undating. They're not dating. They're staying at home, watching pornography. And there's online dating. It's the online dating thing. More than 50% of people in that age category have gone on an online date. The thing about online dating is, well, what's your picture look like? I had an awesome, funny slide for this. Actually, I have a slide for it now. Is that guy who's trying to sell you something? But, you know, and, and as this passage that we're looking at today, as Paul states, is I didn't try to flatter anybody. I didn't try to please anybody but God. I didn't try, and he, said, he says, I have the authority of an apostle. I could have thrown my weight around as an apostle. I did not. But I was gentle and I cared for those who I ministered to. Uh, we never came with flattering speech. This other pretext for greed. This word pretext means to wear a cloak. It means to have an outward appearance of something that you're not. And you're trying to fool someone. It goes perfectly with flattery. Flattery is telling, trying to make a person feel good. But really your motive is yourself. And uh, can you imagine, so what's your picture online if you're online dating? <laughs> I had a there was, anyway, I didn't put the picture up. I didn't, there was some like before and after thing that was pretty funny. But, um, you know, it's, in an online dating app, you can, you know, scan through. There's someone you, you, you don't have to take a risk. You don't have to be genuine. If it doesn't, you know, if it's something that doesn't work out, you just, it's like shopping. You can go on again and try someone else and go on again and try someone else. And uh, I, know, I know some people that it's worked well for, actually. But the theme of Thessalonians, therefore, is uh, encouragement of believers to boldly live godly lives. And to do that, your heart has to be genuine. And God is the one who sees the heart. And so when you're right with Him... Your heart is genuine. And then, not only do you not try to hide who you are, you love and long to expose who you are. And that's what Christ said. If, the light, if light is in you, it will shine forth. And he said, if you, you know, don't put a basket on it, and a city on a hill cannot be hidden. So the light in you will shine. And he said, if your heart, the eye of your heart is singular, but in the New American Standard it says clear, but it's not really. The translation of that Greek word is singular, meaning that you're singularly devoted to pleasing God, who's the only one you really need to please. And in that, you will please people, but that doesn't mean that you're trying or that it is absolutely necessary, because it's not. Uh, and so we boldly live godly lives. That's the theme. And it's a, it's a theme of encouragement. Paul is encouraging them to keep doing what they're doing and to do it even better. The sub-theme now, we're in chapter 2, is the effective witness has a heart that seeks God's pleasure and he loves those who he witnesses to. And I had this theme up yesterday too, but I, I've altered the words a little bit. You know, when you're talking, when you're, when you're giving a theme, you know, your wording doesn't have to be absolutely exact. It's, it's a, a theme is a broad idea. And that's what we're going to go through Thessalonians verse by verse. I've changed my mind on doing that. So, but we're, we're going to see the detail of the big idea. But here's the thing, if you get, that's why I did the big theme first. And I will always do that from now on. But if you don't know the big theme, you get lost in the details. If you know the big theme, then the details fit into the theme. And here's the thing. What's wonderful is, as you're going through the details, you might change your theme. And say, well, you know what? There's some things I didn't see. The theme's a little different than what I thought it was. And then you can alter it. And as you do that, you'll truly get a grasp of the great ideas that God wants us to have. The great truths that God wants us to have. So look at chapter 2, verse 1, just a review for yesterday. For you yourselves know, brethren, that our coming to you was not in vain. Vain means empty. It wasn't, in other words, a waste of time. 
But after we had already suffered and been mistreated in Philippi, we didn't quit. As you know, we had the boldness in our God to speak to you the gospel of God amid much opposition. For our exhortation does not come from error or impurity or by way of deceit. I'm not hit. He means his exhortation of them. It's not an error. It's not impure. It's not deceitful. It's the gospel. <clears throat> but just as we have been approved by God, again, passive voice there, as we saw yesterday, means that God does the approving. We don't approve of ourselves. To be entrusted with the gospel, that again is passive. It means that God is the one who entrusts us with the gospel. And yes, Paul is an, uh, an apostle. So by position, he has been given a stewardship and he's been entrusted with it. But not every believer is trustworthy. Not every believer takes care of the stewardship that's been given to them by God. And each of us have been given a stewardship. And not all, not, we don't take care of it. Not everybody takes care of it. And so <clears throat> Paul is entrusted. And now in the next paragraph in chapter 2, he's going to show us why. So he says, so we speak, not as pleasing men, but God who examines our hearts. Hence, he has this boldness. We know the God that we have trusted. We know that he is the one who has approved us and entrusted us, and he is the one to please. And so in the midst of all this opposition, we were in jail in Philippi, and here we are again in the next town in Thessalonica being persecuted. Um, we're not going to stop. And, you know, despite all the uh, opposition. So... <clears throat> We seek to please the one and only God who can truly examine our hearts. And that's what we must do is, who, who are we to truly please? And it is the Lord and the Lord alone. And as I said, it does mean that you'll therefore please others. And, and in a most magnificent way, because you're genuinely righteous. And you are in position, all believers are. But if you're genuinely righteous in your heart, and that means that, <clears throat> that that wonderfulness of what you are and your love and your fruit and your sacrifice and your giving is all going to be appreciated by some and it's going to be hated by others. Paul has boldness to speak the gospel because of the opinion of men are not his top priority. He suffered in Philippi and in Thessalonica and he went right on teaching the gospel because God's approval was more important to him than the approval of men. But that's not the whole story. Some say, well, I only want God's approval and I don't like people. Well, there's a disconnect there because God loves the world. Now, I, it's true that you don't have to like everybody. We're, we're all grateful for that. But uh, <clears throat> God, it is God's will that we love mankind because he loves mankind. And so if we say we love God and we don't love those we're witnessing to, uh, we're lying to ourselves, and we should know this. I think a lot of Christians have a false idea of what loving God really is, and hence they can easily lie to themselves that they have it. And you need to know if you don't, uh, because there's there's no desire to change if I don't know there's an issue, and this can easily change. I mean, God is magnificent at changing our hearts. If people can't change, then Christianity is useless. So, um, if you love God, you love mankind. Paul's going to show this to us as well. And because Paul loved God, he loved mankind. He loved those that he ministered to. And remember that Paul wasn't a powerful speaker. As he, they said of him in Corinth that he was uh, a detestable is that the word they use? The New American Standard used unimpressive looking and detestable to listen to. And, you know, in Corinth, they loved the big, the Greek orator, you know, looked the part, spoke the part, and Paul didn't care about any of that. Paul said, I want to, one thing I want to know about you is Christ crucified. What do you think of that? That's what I want to know about you. And he told him, I didn't come with, you know, impressive words. Paul has an astounding education, but he didn't use it. 
He wasn't trying to impress anybody because that would put, he knew this, it would put the spotlight on him and not on the one that he needed to put the spotlight on. People are not impressed with me and with you. <laughs> Sorry to say, they're not impressed. So you know what you need, who you need to impress them with is with the Lord. Let them see the Lord in you and through you. And then bid them to be impressed. <clears throat> Paul was given a stewardship, one that he loved. I love the parable of the good stewards, one of my favorites. In Luke 12, 43-44, Lord said, Blessed is that slave whom his master finds so doing when he comes. Doing the will of the master, as opposed to the bad uh, slave who was uh, drinking all the master's booze and beating on the other servants. Uh, this slave was doing his job. It's truly, truly I say to you that he will put him in charge of all his possessions. Paul wrote to Titus, Titus was in Crete, in Titus 1.7, the overseer, which is uh, Presbuteros, uh, no, that's not Presbuteros, that's, um, ah, that's terrible, I can't remember that word, uh, for the overseer must be above reproach as God's steward. The steward has to be above reproach, he can't do his job. That's what Paul said, that Titus needed to raise up people to take over the various churches in Crete. And Paul told him, look, don't just put anybody at the pulpit. You need to put people who are above reproach. And he goes into more detail there. So if our heart is pure, then we'll be pure. We can't fake it. If we try to fake it, we'll be find out, found out eventually. And, of course, we can't fool God, who is the one that we really have to please. And uh, Jesus said this, speaking of the Pharisees, the mouth speaks out of that which fills the heart. He said, he said to the Pharisees, calling them whitewashed tombs, what is in you is what comes out. Uh, and the Pharisees made an issue with Jesus' disciples not washing their hands in a certain way that the Jews had adopted at that time, which was not according to the Mosaic Law. The disciples weren't breaking the Mosaic Law. They were breaking the tradition that had been enacted upon the people, which was too uh, intense um, uh, by the religious leaders. And, the, and so Jesus said this, it's not what goes into the man that defiles the man, it's what comes out. And what comes out comes from your heart. That's what defiles you, meaning what you say. And so from the mouth speaks that which fills the heart. Paul has given the gospel to these people. We're called to give the gospel to the people around us. Are we? Are we witnessing of the light of the truth or are we closing our mouths because our hearts are not bold? And uh, a pure heart will speak that which is pure. Now also, are you always going to say, if your heart is pure, meaning that you love the Lord and, and you're, you're, you know, we're, none of us have arrived or at the heights of, the greatest heights of maturity, but we're, we're climbing. And therefore, if your heart is pure, are you always going to say the right thing? See, what Jesus says here almost seems to say like you're always going to say the right thing. But your pure heart is still in a weak body. Weak at times. We still have the flesh within us. We're not always going to say the exact right thing. However, if our hearts are pure, for the most part, we will. And there's a wonderful passage that, you know, where um, the, the, the disciples are told, I think I put it up the other day, that the, this, when, the, when, when Jesus sent out the twelve to witness to the surrounding nations, he said, don't fear, don't be afraid of what, they're going to, and I did put this up the other day, they're going to throw you into prison, they're going to uh, do all kinds of terrible things to you, don't fear them. And don't be so worried about what you're going to say. Now, that doesn't mean that, you know, you're going to get inspiration from the heavens and you don't have to know what the Word of God is or what the gospel is or what the, who the Lord is. Of course, you have to know all of that. Uh, but don't be concerned in how to say it so perfectly that you're going to wow them. And why does he say that? It's the same thing that Paul's saying here is that generally 
when we want to wow people with our doctrine, we, we're generally trying to impress them and have them you know, see us in a good light. And again, the light's in the wrong place. If you want to show people the Lord, then you will. And you'll do it the way God has designed you to do it. In your own way and in your own words. It's the same understanding that any other believer has of the Lord, because the Lord is one. But you will do it in your way. The words that you choose. You're speaking to another about someone that you love. But we never stop growing. You'll get better and better and better. And bolder and bolder and bolder. Uh, I think one of the benefits of getting older is a lot of things that really stink about getting old, which are physical, some of them mental. Uh, but, you know, you know, like old people, they have, don't have that filter anymore. Uh, so you're, gonna, you're not going to have that. Now, let me tell you about Jesus. They'll be like, oh, please, don't tell me. And be like, shut up, let me tell you about Jesus. Maybe don't say shut up, you know, be nicer. Uh, but anyway, be gentle. Look at chap, 1 Thessalonians 4.1. Finally then, brethren, we request and exhort you in the Lord Jesus that just as you receive from us instruction on how you ought to walk and please God, which you actually do. Over there, yeah. So notice, first off, Paul says to them, you're actually doing this. I sent, he sent Timothy to get a report. Timothy comes back. Paul was very anxious about them. And Timothy says they're doing terrific and Paul says, as you receive from us, in, us instruction on in how you ought to walk and please God, is that word please, phrase please God again, just as you actually do. So you actually do. But, he says, that you excel still more. All right, so always growing. Always growing. So this pleasing God, he's going to show us... A, as we progress in the book, that it is walking in a manner worthy of your calling, just as he writes it in Ephesians. Walk in a manner worthy of your calling. And that's what pleases God. And he's the only one that you mean to please. Walk in a manner worthy of your calling. We've seen this in some detail already. Chapter 4, verses 1 through 8. We looked at it a, a few classes ago. And you can just scroll down a verse or two and you can see that it is sanctification that pleases God. Being separate from the world, separate from sexual immorality, as he writes here, separate from uh, evil purposes and fleshly living. And as we've seen in the book of James, and here the first book written by Paul, is that all of that doctrine without living it is meaningless. If we do not live what we have been taught, it's doing us no good whatsoever. And in fact, it can do us a lot of harm. Now, I'm not saying don't learn. Learn, learn, learn. But know that this learning is designed for doing. It's not just here either. We're going to see it over and over again as we go through the New Testament. For instance, Colossians 1.10. Walk in a manner worthy of the Lord to please Him in all respects. And so, uh, and I'm looking forward to going through Colossians. We'll come up here in a bit. We'll we'll look at that that book in in detail. Walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. And one of my I love the passage in chapter three in Colossians is your after Paul talks about in chapter two how Christ died for you and that you're dead. You've been crucified. You're dead. And then he says, now your life is hid with Christ in heavenly places. And then he says, when Christ appears, you're going to appear with him in glory. Right? So it's all right there. You died with Christ. You're resurrected with Christ. You're seated with Christ. And when he returns, you're going to return in him with him glorified. All of this is true. And then Paul will say, if this is true about you, how should you live? Heavenly or earthly? Godly or fleshly? And it's the most wonderful argument that is true, that is getting to true motivation. Because it's pure motivation. You know, it's not, there is, is there a fear of loss? Yeah. Do you want to lose rewards in heaven and rewards in time? Probably not. 
I would say likely or absolutely not. No, I don't. There's going to be a judgment seat with Christ in heaven. Do you want to, you know, how's that going to, do you want that to go well? Well, yeah. (laughs) You know, am I a little afraid of that? Well, you know, I'm not afraid of him, but is it important to me? Yeah, it's important to me. So I don't want to lose stuff. And that is a motivation. It'll get you. It'll get the car running a bit, but you won't be running like, like a true pure race car. As a bad analogy, but you know, to be running the way that God wants your machine to run, meaning your soul, your heart, and your body, is to have the true motivation of knowing what God has done here and loving what God has done. And then saying to yourself, I've been made for this. It's a miracle, absolute miracle, that he has made me what I am. It's astounding. You know, almost, because we're all brought brought up in in a Christian world. We are. The whole West is... As one author put it, uh, swimming in Christian waters. People don't know it. That you know, all of our rights and our laws and our society is all based on Christianity. Even for non-Christians, they they and they love the laws of Christianity. They don't know where they've come from, but they love them. Just take away someone's rights and see how they feel. A non-Christian, an atheist. Say, hey man, nothing matters. I'm going to take away all your rights and your stuff and throw you in a dungeon. Hey, wait a minute, I have rights. (laughs) You're just trying to convince me that nothing matters. That there's no such thing as morality. But when it hurts you, all of a sudden, you're standing up for it. Uh, Yeah, and so, um, you can imagine being in the first century. One of these Thessalonians who were Paul, you've been worshiping idols your whole life and you're under the thumb of the Roman Empire. And, and then this guy rolls into town and he says, through Jesus Christ our Lord, you have been made forgiven of all sin and made a heavenly creature by which you have eternal life with him in heaven forever. You're righteous and justified. And you, God will indwell you. Like, what? And it's the most astounding thing ever. So the key here, uh, if we're going to walk worthy and our hearts are going to change, it's not inherent talent. Paul is not a, a talented speaker. That's not why he becomes the great apostle Paul. It's because he's faithful. Faithful is he who calls you. Faithful is he to bring it to pass. And, um, you know, if we're faithful, God is going to develop us into what what pleases him. If we develop a good heart, which is understanding God's word, and all, if you don't have a good heart, I'm, I'm speaking to anyone listening, if you don't have a good heart, I can tell you just how to get it. It's to learn the Word of God and understand it. Apply the Word of God. Do the best that you can to apply God's Word to your life and learn God's Word. Read it every day. Learn of it. Do whatever Bible study you want to do. But learn it, and the Holy Spirit will make it shine in you. He promises this. God promises if you seek Him with all your heart, you'll find Him. He promises that if you find Him, you'll love Him. And that he will really get to work in your life in a divine, eternal, good way. It's guaranteed. But if God is not the love of your life, well then, something else is. Human beings are designed to love. We're made in God's image. God is love. Guess what? We love. Unfortunately, as fallen human beings... We love the wrong things. And what have they done for us? If you don't love the Lord, the solution is get to know Him. Same thing. If He's not your top priority, the solution is to get to know Him. Now, Paul's behavior exists because of what is in his heart. Look at verse 5 now. Here's the specifics of verses 1 through 4. 
Uh, 1 Thessalonians 2.5 For we never came with flattering speech, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed. God is witness. Nor did we seek glory from men, either from you or from others, even though as apostles of Christ we might have asserted our authority, but we proved to be gentle. <laughs> Love this. I could have whipped out my apostle ID badge. And plus, Paul has the power of miracles. We see in the, in the letter to the Corinthians that he could turn people over to Satan. You know, obviously with God's permission, but he did. Turn them over to Satan. More than one person. Maybe he walk in there into Thessalonica and say, all right. Be like Moses at the rock the second time. You rebels. Shall I bring the gospel to you? I am the apostle Paul. I saw Jesus Christ and resurrected. I demand obedience. I demand that you listen to me. And if you don't, I will smite this place. No, none of that. Imagine if you, <laughs> if somebody, if somebody had such authority and power, right? I think all the evil villains in our in our favorite stories. Right? Like Darth Vader, why is he so evil and he's so good at it? Because he has the power. I love it. I used to always love that. Oh, the opening scene where he's in, uh, the opening scene with him in the original Star Wars where the guy mounts off to him in the meeting. There's a guy there and saying, Darth Vader, your old religion doesn't do much, blah, 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 blah. And we're like, do you know who you're talking to? And then he, he pinches his hands and the guy starts to choke. Darth Vader says, I find your lack of faith disturbing. <clears throat> Imagine if God, God did that to us. I find your lack of faith disturbing. <laughs> Be like, yeah, yes, Lord, yes, Lord, yes, Lord. I'll do whatever you want. Stop choking me. But God isn't like this, is He? Patient. Slow. When's the rapture coming? Not right now. Why is He so slow? God says, I'm not slow. You think I'm slow. Because you're dumb. I'm smart. You're not. I know time. You don't. So instead of whipping out his apostle badge, Paul does what? Verse 7, we prove to be gentle among you as a nursing mother tenderly cares for her own children. What kind of love is that? <clears throat> is Paul just pulling a phrase out of thin air and saying, well, this is good. It sounds good. I think I'll write it down. Mother and children. Yeah, that's, that's love. He means it. He means it. He knows that love between a mother and her infant, and he means it. This is what I, how I loved you. And he means believers and unbelievers. <clears throat> Having so fond an affection for you, we were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of our God, but also our own lives, because you had become very dear to us. Again, going back to verse 6, he said he didn't seek glory from men, either from you or from others. Not from you. We could say the yous are the believers, maybe. What do, who, then who are the others? Wouldn't they be the unbelievers? We didn't seek their glory. We didn't seek your glory, from, glory from you. And we were gentle, like a mother is with an infant. Now, this flows from the section we just read, obviously, from verses 1 through 4. In verse 1, he says, You yourselves know that our coming to you was not in vain. Our coming to you. And then in verse 5, he says, We never came to you. We didn't say to you, but we never came with flattering speech. So it's, what he's talking about here is it's the same verb that he uses, is this coming to them. How did I approach this group of unbelievers? And you know, your what you think about them is going to mean, every, going to mean everything in your presentation. 
So here's the dirty homeless guy who just looks like he's been hit by three trains. No. Uh, I've already put in my mind what he is. And Paul doesn't do that. Or I see the rich, pompous guy, right? He's unsavable. It's actually that Ravi Zacharias, although you know about his ending, whatever, it doesn't matter. But Ravi Zacharias, his huge ministry, he thought to himself, nobody is ministering to and witnessing to the rich. And that's who he targeted. And that's why he developed his apologetics. So, because they're educated, usually, and they're, they think they're super smart. Right? We're rich, we're smart, we're better than everybody else. Those are the people that Ravi went after. And he beautiful ministry from it. See, it's not having this pretext actually helps us to say, look, is this an appointment that God has set up for me? And if it is, am I afraid of them? Uh, do I want to flatter them? Uh, do, you know, whatever. And say, no, 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 what I care about is the Lord sees my heart. I want to please Him. And the power of the gospel will deliver that person's soul from hell to heaven. And therefore, it's a marvelous privilege. And what an exciting thing to be able to be entrusted with the gospel. Magnificent. So, he says uh, also, you know... Back in uh, verse 5, we, we uh, never came with flattering speech, as you know. That means that they knew. And then he says, and God is our witness. And that means that God knew. So God, what was in their hearts, was revealed to others. God saw their hearts. That's what Paul, we could skip by these words quick, but we shouldn't. God sees their hearts and he approves and entrusts them. And the... Thessalonians see their hearts. And so what God saw in their hearts is manifested openly. And as we'll see, good loves to show itself. What about evil? Isn't it interesting that evil is always trying to show itself as good? Shouldn't that tell us something about it? It's always trying to do this. The evil people never come right out with their evil. They try and fool people. Satan does the same thing. Paul says he portrays himself as an angel of light. Why does he do that? Why didn't he just be honest with us? Because no one would follow him. He's got to try and deceive. Good does not try to deceive. Good loves to show itself because good is of the light. It wants to show itself. Paul wrote in 2 Timothy 3, he said, Realize this, that in last days difficult times will come. Men will be lovers of self and lovers of money. And and, and he continues, deceitful and so on. I just picked the first two here. Men will be lovers of self and lovers of money. (coughs) Excuse me. And then he says they'll hold to a form of godliness but deny its power. They love themselves and they love money, but they put outwardly godliness. I'm God, I'm godly. And of course we know that we must not do this, but there's a reason why Paul brings this up, because it is the way of the world. And seeing this, we can see what we can be. Totally genuine. And also knowing <clears throat> that in our flesh, in our fallenness, we have this tendency to want to show ourselves as something that we're not, to pretend to be something that we're not, to think that, well, if I flatter them and make them feel good, maybe this will go better. And Paul and God are telling us, leave all that out. Don't bother with that nonsense. Speak the truth from your own heart. So he says in again in verse 5, we never came with flattering speech. Flattery is the desire to give someone else pleasure, but the motive is self-interest. That's what flattery is. The desire to give another person pleasure when your motive is self-interest. The pretext for greed 
And pretext is, is a word, the Greek word means, well, pretext means to disguise something or to disguise one's real motives. Uh, the Greek word means, can be rendered a cloak. And I like that. You're wearing a cloak. It's a, not you, but somebody's doing it, is wearing a cloak. And underneath the cloak is what they really are. The cloak is used to hide the festering greed that's underneath. This greed, uh, the Greek word means greed or covetousness. The cloak that, ride, <coughs> that hides greed partners nicely with flattering speech. And so Paul could have said, I did not come to you as a politician. He matches them perfectly. Lover of money, lover of self, form of godliness. Or a university professor. Or a Hollywood actor, actress, producer, whatever. They're all over. Uh, someone on the media, <coughs> on the news media, trying to portray themselves as something. Now, here's what God tells us. Now, we saw last Sunday, we, have, we cannot judge anyone, right? You get, we don't have the penetrating gaze to look into someone's heart like God does. We can't judge. We still can't. But, when it comes to those who are liars, we are told that we can look behind that cloak. Now, it's still, we're not judging them, but we could say, that's a lie. And that came out of your mouth, so that makes you a liar. Right, so if we know the truth, we could tell the lie. Jesus said, you'll know them by their fruit. So, <clears throat> you remember when, when Jesus was walking uh, to Jerusalem from uh, Bethany and he saw the fig tree and it looked like it should have fruit on it, all its leaves were green, and he went up to the tree and he looked upon it and there was no fruit. And he cursed the tree and it withered. Uh, this is just before he was crucified. Uh, and what was that depicting? It was depicting the fact that it looked like it should have fruit, but on a more penetrating gaze, it did not. Jesus said, you'll know them by their fruit. We just have to have patience. We still don't judge, but we have patience to say, look, that's a lie. That's a liar. The people who wear the cloaks will eventually be seen. Here's the positive thing for us. If our heart is genuinely in love with the Lord and generally in genuinely sorry, in love with the gospel, and therefore we love, the biggest stinker on earth, we love them and want them saved, then we're not hiding anything. It flows from us. And Satan and the kingdom of darkness are going to try and shut us up. When you get to the point that you are such a bold speaker of the gospel, guess what? There's a target on your back now. Just like it was an Apostle Paul. To what town did he go to, or village, or city did he go to, as we read in the book of Acts, where he didn't have somebody trying to put, either put him in jail or stone him to death or something? Like, and he keeps going. Why? But of course there was a target on his back. When you become convinced of this, again, look at, uh, now here's, we've seen two players so far. Here, here's our holy trinity of false teachers. Flattery, pretext, which is the cloak of greed, the cloak that protects or hides the greed, and this last one, seeking the glory of men. You like my, uh, like my uh, illustration? Unholy trinity. Uh, in the book of Revelation, there's an unholy trinity. There's the beast and the false prophet and the other beast, uh, or no, the, the, the harlot. Right, the, uh, oh, I'm messing it up. <laughs> I just have to go back and reread Revelation now. But uh, you know, the, this this is my depiction here of Paul having an unholy trinity. This is for false teachers. False teachers flatter. They hide themselves behind something that looks like godliness, but secretly they just have greed. And they seek the glory from men. And that's the third one. Seeking the glory from men. Not from you, Paul said, and not from others. The Greek verb to seek means to desire. And uh, the glory from men is what? I get praise from them. Does it matter to these people that they're getting praise for something that they're not? Nope. I don't think so at all. They just want the praise. 
I, I know if I if I get if someone praises me for something I've done, either from behind the pulpit or something, my flesh goes, "Good job, Joe." Let's let's get some pride back in our soul. Or get back. Let's make it bigger, right? It's it's all it's instantaneous, and we know better. It doesn't mean we're, you know, um, isolated from it. Knowing better, knowing the Lord, even with a pure heart, pride can sneak in and rob us of our happiness in a second. We must be careful and stay miles away from this. They don't care that they're being praised for something that they're not. So, go to John 5. That trinity is at play all around our society, but you know Paul's writing about it 2,000 years before our current society, so what does that tell you? Were things different back then? Were men different back then? Were they different 5,000 years ago? Were they different in, you know, right in the beginning after we were kicked out of the garden? People haven't changed. John 5.39, check this out from our Lord. He says, you search the Scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. Right? The Scripture doesn't save anybody. Jesus saves. It is these that testify about me. So, right, the Scriptures are awesome, but it was who they testify of that is important. And you are unwilling to come to me that you may have life. I do not receive glory from men, but I know you that you do not love God in yourselves. I have come in my Father's name, and you don't receive me. If anyone comes in his own name, you'll receive him. Because what they're flatterers. How can you believe when you receive glory from one another and you do not seek the glory that is from the one and only God? What an astounding statement. You can't even believe in me because you seek the glory from people and not the glory of God. So we say, is that unfair? These are Jews that have been brought up in the law. And in fact, he's talking to Pharisees who know the law front and back. And they claim, they profess, they're wearing the robes. They're wearing the outward form of godliness. They're saying, we love Jehovah Elohim. We love him. And yet, do they seek glory of God? Do they seek the glory of men? Jesus knows their hearts. So then he says something really astounding, too, further in verse 45. Do not think that I will accuse you before the Father. The one who accuses you is Moses, in whom you have set your hope. For if you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote about me. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? He said in verse 39 again, you search the scriptures because you think in them you have eternal life. You're reading Moses. And what does Moses say? Well, Moses says a lot of things. But here's one particular thing that Moses says. In Deuteronomy 18.15, the Lord your God will rise up for you, sorry, raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your own countrymen. And you shall shama him. Listen to him. Now, the word Shema, it means more than just hearing. It always does. Where we find it most popularly is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. So, hear, O Israel. Does it just mean to listen? No, it always means listen and obey. It's expected. And the, I put this, it's in my notes, this quick little, it's like four minutes long, uh, video from the Bible Project where they do word studies. This one's on Shema that I have there. It's in my notes as well online. And I, please listen to it if you haven't already. And if you have, listen to it again. Uh, they, they break down every word in the Shema prayer. And this, and he shows it. They show in multiple verses how this is used always as hear and obey. <clears throat> so were the Jews listening to him? Yeah, they were. They were listening. Were they doing what he said? But what did he say? Prior to this in 5, where am I? Not that. <laughs> I'm getting 
uh, John 5, prior to this, the Lord said, that this, right before this, he heals the man at the pool of Bethesda in the opening of chapter 5. And this man, who was crippled for 38 years or something like that. He, and he tells him after he heals him, pick up your pallet and walk. It's a Sabbath day. So he's walking through the temple area and someone says, hey, you're not supposed to carry your Sabbath, your, your pallet on the Sabbath. And, uh, and the guy says, well, the guy who healed me told me to carry it. And they said, what are you talking about? Who healed you? And he's like, I don't know. I don't even know the dude's name. So then later on, he runs into Jesus in the temple and he says, hey, there you are. And, uh, and he tell, Jesus tells him who he is. And so the guy runs to the authorities and says, he told me. Jesus told me. And so they see. What did they see? A miracle. And then and Jesus says to them, I have to work on Saturday. Yeah, I do. Because my father is working and I am working. That doesn't mean he's violating the Sabbath rules from Moses. Well, he means something else by work. And... <clears throat> They wanted to kill him for it. Why? They said, you're making God out to be your father. That's right. What did Moses say? Listen to him. Go back to John 3. I find it marvelously interesting and marvelously satisfying that sin and evil hides behind good. It always does. So what is more powerful than what came first? You know, you, there's, dualism falls apart at its source. Dualism, which means you know, there's a good God and a bad God and they're fighting it out. You can't be judged as bad or even identify as bad unless good, is inv- unless good exists. I mean, what is bad except a perversion of that which is good? So good is always first. So notice what he says, John 3.18. He who believes in him is not judged. I mean, he believes in Jesus here talking about himself. He who believes in him is not judged. He who does not believe has been judged already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. This is the judgment that light has come into the world. And men love the darkness rather than the light for their deeds were evil. Flattering. Greed, seeking the glory of men. For everyone who does evil hates the light and does not come to the light for the fear that his deeds will be exposed. But he who practices the truth comes to the light that his deeds may be manifested as having been wrought in God. If you and I have a good heart, we're dying to show it. And we know it's not ours. I mean, it is ours. It is us. But it's the Lord manifesting Himself through us. We have His Word. We have His truth. We have His power. We have everything. And it can truly influence. And look, even if you're a, mature, you're a more mature believer than me, just sharing it with you back and forth is marvelous. I want to show my heart to people. Because it's genuine. It's the light. Not the darkness. The darkness hides. The darkness hates the light. So, Paul asserts that, again, rather than pulling out his apostle credentials, he asserts his love rather than his credentials. And the picture of a mother with an infant is what he uses. And so, I use that picture because, you know, if you've watched your children born or their home with you for the, just the first few months, you know, and they're so frail and so like when we brought Maggie home, we were like, we we're hoping the nurses had come home with us. I had been out of practice for almost 30 years and, you know, I, the both of us were just scared. How do you treat them? Right. This is universal. Uh, and Paul says, this is how I treated you. So when we we go to. um uh, you know, we go to the person that we're sent to by God. We have this opportunity to witness. What if we hate them? 
Now, we're going to tell them, because there's a, lot of, there's a lot of angry, bitter people in the world who have gone through life being unloved. They haven't been loved. Or maybe they've been loved insufficiently. And because of that, they carry with them this burden, this emptiness inside, because they haven't gotten what their hearts have desired. And oftentimes, they turn to either drugs or alcohol or pornography or something else that, uh, to try and feed that void. And they get themselves in trouble, sometimes in criminality. And it all stems back to they don't feel whole. And it happens to all of us. And then you come to them and say, God loves you. How many people have told them that they are infinitely loved by someone else? It's rare. You know, we think people are told this. They might not be. Not everybody's going to church. Far less people are going to church now than ever have been before. Not a lot of churches are telling this, the right message. Either way, you know, there's a lot of people out there who are not being told that God loves them. So what if we tell them that God loves them when in fact in us we can't stand them? What kind of witnesses are we? And that's what Paul's getting to is here. For our hearts to change to the point where we love God and we, love, we please God. We know that he sees, in our heart, he sees our hearts and we please him. And then we become these genuine witnesses. We love like Paul loved them. And that, mixed with our love of the Lord and the love of His gospel in our hearts, makes us amazing witnesses for God. And you will change people's lives. Not everybody's. A lot of people are going to say no. But there are going to be some who say yes. And God's going to make sure that we see that. But what if we don't change our hearts? What if we don't do that? Then we won't ever see it. And I'm over. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for your word. Thank you for uh, your uh, for pressing upon us who and what you are and what you have done. And giving us what you have given us through your Son so that we can be your witnesses through the world. Change our hearts, Father, so that we can shine forth who you are in us. And therefore, it is us, influenced and changed and matured by you. And by revealing that, we reveal us and we reveal you. Thank you, Father, for your amazing grace. In Christ's name, amen. Let's go.